HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network On Tour. Today, we're bringing you Inside the Slow Seed Summit, a conference hosted by Slow Food USA, presenting perspectives on food security, seed preservation and sovereignty, and community engagement. The conference took place between May 13th and 15th, 2022, and as media partners for the summit, we're excited to give you an inside look at key conversations. Enjoy this peek into the Slow Seed Summit. Welcome, everyone, to our last day of the Slow Seed Summit. We're already off to a rousing discussion today with Dr. Shiva <laughs> and Dr. John. Um, I just want to say how pleased I am to be starting our final day of this incredible Seed Summit with two people I deeply, deeply admire, Dr. John Hosdoffer and Dr. Vandana Shiva. Um, I'm going to introduce them, and then we are going to get right into some really amazing questions um, and definitely some food for thought for everyone here who is joining us. Um, Dr. John came to Slow Food by way of our Slow Books group, um, which has just listed um, their Seed Summit book recommendations on the Slow Food USA page. If you'd like to go see them, all books from all of our authors and um, panelists are going to be listed there. Um, John came to us through his work with the Center for Humans and Nature um, in editing the series Kinship and Belonging in a World of Relations, and also his book, What Kind of Ancestor Do You Want to Be?, um, Dr. John's a social and ecological philosopher. He's a teacher. He's a mentor. He's an author, editor, speaker, and organizational founder um, based in Colorado, and the founding dean of the Clark Family School and Environment uh, and Sustainability. Um, throughout his life, Dr. John's dedication to peace has been driven by this question. What does the good life look like once we accept that all places are here and all eras are now? What does the good life look like if all peoples are considered as part of an equal humanity and if all species are considered as persons? I welcome you, Dr. John, for helping me with this conversation. Oh, it's an honor to be here yes. with, with an old mentor and friend. Hello, Dr. Shiva. Awesome. Hello, John. <laughs> Hello, Mara. Hello, Dr. Vandana Shiva almost needs no introduction in the slow food space. Um, I personally found deeper meaning and purpose farming my small acreage. Um, after hearing her speak at my first Terra Madre in 2006, she convinced me that I should just have rampant biodiversity on my farm. And on those two and a half acres, we planted over 400 varieties and just let things go wild. And people couldn't believe how much abundance and just volume of food could come off of a small acreage. And um, it was just my joy to do that after hearing um, that biodiversity is the way to go. Um, as we learned last night, watching the film about her life, Dr. Shiva uh, is a trained physicist. She later shifted to interdisciplinary research in science, tech, and environmental policy. In 1982, she founded the Independent Institute Research Foundation for Science, Technology, and Ecology. And in 1991, she founded Navdanya, a national movement to protect the diversity and integrity of living resources, especially native seeds, um, the promotion of organic farming and fair trade, of course. Um, so many accolades, too many to list, um, but she's an environmental hero. Um, and Dr. Shiva has been listed as one of the top seven most powerful women on the globe. We are so grateful to have you join us today, Dr. Shiva. Welcome. 
Let's get into it, friends. The regeneration has been the theme for slow food for 2022 globally. Um, and just coming off of a hard two years for our network and everyone across the entire planet. Um, we're interested as a movement to define this term and what it means for slow food. Um, it's already a term that's being co-opted, um, but I would love to hear from you, Dr. Shiva, how do you define the word regenerate? Um, you know, some of us got together in 2015, uh, when the climate discussions were getting intense and there was an organized assault on organic and other systems. And we said, let's create a word and a regeneration movement was born. But as you said, it is getting so rapidly co-opted yeah. and using Roundup is regeneration, having larger and larger acreages with drones and spraying poisons is regeneration. And it's become the new double speak. What is regeneration for me? Regeneration is the renewal of generation. Only generative things can regenerate. Dead things cannot. And the generative capacity comes from living beings. And all of these years, now it's about 36 years that I have worked, uh, more than 36, 37 years, on trying to understand the puzzle of industrial farming, as well as the potential and possibilities of ecological agriculture, regenerative agriculture, is the seed is living, the soil is living. Because the books used to teach people, the soil is an empty container hmm. and it gets its fertility from the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium you pour into it that comes from factories. Two years ago, just before COVID, one of my last presence in the Supreme Court of India was trying to prevent Monsanto from undoing our law, which says plants, animals, seeds are not human inventions. They are beings. Mm. They're self-organized autonomous beings. And I worked very hard with our parliament in, you know, 10, 15 years ago to ensure that law was there so we weren't forced to patent seed. But Monsanto has been trying to destroy that clause, Article 3J of our patent law. And because they'd lost out on the GMO debate, they thought they would try and bring the empty seed debate. And their lawyers were standing in the court saying, the seed is an empty container. It's when we put our chemicals into it, it becomes a Superman. And this projection of the Superman, this is what Bacon did, you know, mm -hmm. that some humans were Supermen and had to conquer nature and other humans. I think that is the degeneration the beginning of degeneration, the breaking of relationships. And regeneration for me is working with the seed, working with the living soil, working with living biodiversity, living, working with farmers, working with community. And what I have learned in these many years, including my quantum theory, you know, my Einstein behind me was the push into physics. What I learned in quantum theory is A, non-separation, action at a distance, to potential, not things. The world is not made of fixed entities. The primitive seed, the improved seed, yeah? the primitive humans, the sophisticated humans, and all of these fixed categories of a Cartesian mechanistic mind is what has allowed conquest right. with all its harms. And regeneration to me is recognizing that the world around us is alive. We are a small strand in this beautiful web and playing our role with humility, compassion, consideration is regeneration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Mara. I was just going to respond and say, I think the, and even frankly, just the acknowledgement that there's no way that you could even see the seed as an empty vessel. Um, <laughs> the acknowledgement that the soil is teeming with life. When I was farming, I know we would be out there in the soil and people would, our customers would ask us, what are you doing about pests? What are you doing about fertilizer? And I'm like, almost nothing because I trust my soil. I don't have the audacity to think that I even understand everything that is in my soil. <laughs> I don't even want to put anything into it because it's working on it. You know, I'm just providing it with diversity. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm always blown away that there's this argument out there about parts, you know, that there, we have understood that it's only NPK you know, in the soil, that's all it needs. And that's just ludicrous. So I appreciate that. There's a, definitely an acknowledgement of the living soil that's important. 
John? Well, in one, one really nice way, Dr. Shiva, you've captured this idea of, you know, soil is, is something living full of um, beings with which we share beinghood, right? Um, the idea that the seed is not an empty vessel is when I asked you eight years ago, similarly to define resilience as that was being co-opted, you said something that just, just stuck in my head. Um, you said, uh, I actually put it in the chat. You said, dealing with illusions is the resilience of our times. Now, your definition of resilience was our ability to deal with illusions. And, and the idea of an empty seed is clearly an illusion. The idea of soil as a commodity is clearly an illusion. I'm curious if you could explain that quote a little more, dealing with illusions, but then maybe talk about it in terms of regeneration. How does regeneration deal with illusions? Well, you know, uh, every crisis we face, whether it be species extinction or climate change or the health pandemic, chronic diseases, poverty, the urge to want to own the seed and declare it was your invention. And I, you know, when people wouldn't understand the complexity of a GMO antibiotic resistance markers, viral promoters, gene guns, I would say, just remember, it means GMO means God move over. Now we are the creators. So regeneration then means allowing creation to play the creative role. And removing the illusion that there's a dead earth out there, inert raw material, to be manipulated, objectified, exploited, um, owned. Because mm. even the idea of private property is so recent, beginning with land, the enclosures of the commons, um, the private property in seed is what made me start saving seeds and start Navdanya. Yeah? And I feel so grateful that, you know, I just said, I won't let the freedom of the seed be taken away. And I won't let the freedom of farmers to save and exchange seed be taken away. And I'll do whatever I can. And the beauty is in these seeds are the resilience. Just give you two examples. We saved everything. We, we never worked on the assumption that nature is stupid and dead. We never worked on the assumption that farmers were stupid. We worked on the assumption that nature is alive, creative, intelligent, and farmers who gave us 200,000 rice varieties had to be the most ultimate breeders or the hundreds of thousands of corn varieties from Teosinte. This season, we've had the heat wave. This has co been covered in the news all over. Very, very hot. And the news is coming from Punjab where the Green Revolution chemical agriculture was introduced of 15 to 50% loss in wheat production. Now, we work with farmers. We've saved ancient varieties of seed on the Navdanya farm. In the Kharif season, we grow 750 varieties of rice. Mm. And in the, we've just harvested 250 varieties of wheat. In the heart of India, where the wheat is still the original wheat, they had no impact of the heat wave. Mm. The leaves were the same. Now, but the same seeds that are resilient to a heat wave are also creators of resilience in us because our seeds do not contribute to gluten allergies, the sarbati and the other amazing varieties. Just as much as climate change is contributed by industrial farming and food systems, all of the chronic diseases linked to industrial food come from the disruption of the ultimate biodiversity, yeah, yeah. which is us. Yeah. yeah, a gut microbiome, we are merely 10%. Now, I don't think anything can make us more humble mm -hmm. than the fact that we are only 10% us. There's nothing like an us. Right. You know, this over-exaggerated, individual, insulated identity of an atomistic kind is an illusion. illusion. So regeneration allows us to say, oh, if I regenerate the soil, I regenerate the seed, the seed makes the soil, the soil makes the seed. This is what I'm learning daily. You mm -hmm. plant tall varieties of rice and wheat, which we do in Navania, you're actually growing future soil fertility because we have enough straw. You grow the dwarf varieties for chemicals. You destroy the soil organisms. You burn the straw. You know, all of these combined harvesters, they they've reduced the plant to the commodity that is traded. And that's why you don't get the true measures. So regeneration then is the interconnectedness, 
the self-organized creativity in every living being. This was what was denied. And third, a very important part played by, from what I understand from my quantum background as quantum coherence and resonance of life. And uh, as uh, Indian philosophy understands, as Pandana, the vibrations that create harmony. So you create the right harmony in the soul Ah. by a gift. You have a wonderful harmony in your gut and you have a healthy body. Now the top medical doctors are arriving at the gut and the food. They are coming to our work through disease. We are reaching them through the gift of life. Well, and that vibration, that, that harmony, and this gets to our next question, Mara, yeah. makes me think about the way you've talked about energy, the way you just talked about um, to the extent that we deal with the illusion of the seed as an empty vessel will lead us eventually to deal with the illusion of ourself as separate from what sustains us, right? And that's, I think that might be the ultimate illusion leading to high depression and obesity and suicide rates around the world is this, this alienation from community, from the, the Cartesian, as you said, illusion that we're separate. And it's, it strikes me that the practice of regenerative agriculture, the practice of seed saving, not only deals with that illusion of what a seed is and what soil is, but also who we are, right? And you, in, in a, a book that the Center of Humans and Nature put out, uh, What Kind of Ancestor Do You Want to Be That You've Helped Us With, Dr. Shiva, you said something somewhat to this extent. You said, spirituality is understanding interconnectedness and holding it sacred. Everything around you. Part of what has happened with the desacralization of the world, with industrialism, which is the fossil fuel civilization or non-civilization as Gandhi called it, is basically a truncation of all kinds, a separation, apartheid of all kinds. And one of the things that has done is separate, separate the spiritual from the material. Our bodies were always sacred. Food, a lot of my work now is on food and health. And I go back to the old texts, which say Anna Brahma, food is divine, food is divine, food is Brahma, food is the creator. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that relationship between personal energy that comes from food practices, uh, social, cultural, political, and even spiritual energy, which I think you refer to as Shakti. What's the relationship, right, between this interconnectedness and and energy? And what's the role of, of food and seeds in tapping that energy? You know, the fossil age totally messed up our thinking of life on Earth. Hmm. You know, it's not just the fact that it leads to greenhouse gas emissions. And that's the problem. But it fossilized our minds. And it fossilized our being. It fossilized us into this dualism. You know, the mind and body is separate. The spiritual material is separate. The human body and the Earth's body is disconnected. And... From there come all the broken systems that are the degradation Hmm. to which regeneration is the healing. One could say regeneration is a healing of broken systems, just like real healthcare, real medicine, Ayurveda, science of life, is the healing of a broken body. Hmm. And regeneration is... Because it's not about one tool, you know, it's not, oh, the pests are an enemy, just kill them out. Uh, the soil is empty, fill it with fertilizers. You know, Bill Gates is talking about 700% increase in chemical fertilizers to solve the climate problem when nitrous oxide is 300 times more damaging than carbon dioxide. Uh, it's fascinating. And these are the illusions, you know, that uh, big money allows spinning off because they make big money out of these illusions. Um, As a physicist, I know there are many energies. And mechanical energy, consumptive energy, is only one kind. And just like synthetic fertilizer is to the living soil, it doesn't bring fertility, it kills the soil organisms, it creates greenhouse gas emissions, it creates dead oceans. What synthetic artificial fertilizers are 
to the living soil, fossil energy is to living systems. Mm-hmm. And too much of the understanding of energy is now dictated by the fossil age, including the first and second law of thermodynamics. They are of the fossil age of the industrial age. You know, Schrodinger, you know, the brilliant minds that shaped quantum theory, Bohr, complementary principle, Schrodinger, you know, psi function is a Schrodinger equation. You know, there's no thing there, it's just potential. Potential waiting to become a wave and a particle and affect something millions of miles away instantaneously. You know, Schrodinger turned to Indian philosophy to understand what was the complexity of these systems they had come up with. And there's a lovely book, and I had a dear friend who's no more, Mehman Ho, and she developed this much more, and she used to work with me. She said, I want to work with you on the quantum biology. Mm. And what Schrodinger has said in this book, What is Life? You know, fossil energy, external energy degrades. It must create entropy, which is waste energy, which is pollution. It is in the nature of its scientific law. All living systems from the soil organisms in the food web to the plants themselves and the seeds that grew the plant to this beautiful human body. We are self-organized creative brains which generate energy through work. Mm-hmm. We don't degrade energy. That's why to me being a farmer is the ultimate. Mm-hmm realization of who we are, we become one with the earth in our life. Schrodinger says, in the living system is organizing energy in negative entropy. Now just think of the consequence. Mm-hmm. Here you have an energy system that degrades, pollutes, destroys, destro- you know, we are eating oil and that's fast food. We are trading oil, we are fighting over oil and oil has created the big mess. And here is all the biodiversity in the world, which is energy in self-organized generative form, which multiplies available energy. And why are we blind to it in spite of the best of sciences having told us this? That blindness is the illusion that's coming in the way of regeneration. You know, and it, it strikes me um, that it, Mara, I was thinking about, you know, the name of your organization, Slow Food USA, you know, and Dr. Shiva, when you talk about all these greater than fossil fuel forms of energy, greater than, more than uh, mechanical forms of energy, they're always and already there. And when you think of the metaphor of slow food, Mara, slow books, slow, mm-hmm. slowing our thinking down, slowing our, our consumptive relationship to mechanical energy down, when we slow down, um, do these other forms of energy just sort of like reappear? Like, hey, we've been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, they always are there. Right. It's basically what we are going through is a denialism. The denialism of living systems, the denialism of their generative potential, the denialism of their ability to heal, which is regeneration. So, you know, what is fast food? Fast food is thoughtless eating, mm-hmm. you know, of oil food. And fast food is oil food. And and just, you know, I, I remember a minister's wife had come from a village and she, he said, I don't know, Delhi, will you take her around? So I drove her around Delhi and she couldn't believe, she said, how can people be walking and eating? It's such an insult to food, you know, Brahman. How can you insult the creator? And fast food is thoughtlessness. So what's the shift to slow food? Thoughtfulness, <laughs> mindfulness. And through that mindfulness, comes the awareness that the seed is living. And this food that I'm eating was a seed. And in it was all the evolutionary past and all the evolutionary potential of the future. When I eat thoughtfully, I'm thoughtful about how much water did this take? Right. And so much of the water crisis is industrial agriculture. When I eat with thoughtfulness and mindfulness, I'm understanding all the living relationships and I'm mindful to not cause harm. Withdrawing harm is the biggest step in regeneration. Withdrawing the harm of spraying pesticides, throwing urea, withdrawing the harm of 
dump, uh, our bodies have become dump yards of waste. You know, people talk about food waste as that which gets thrown into garbage drums. But to me, eating food that's not worthy of eating is food waste and our bodies have become garbage dumps. Right. And that is disease. Chronic diseases is a disease of the body being reduced to garbage dump. So slow food, slow thinking allows us to take the actions that are needed to protect the life of which we are a part and in which we are embedded. And because all of that life is creative, generative, it creates abundance as when we withdraw the harm and the violence. Industrial agriculture, as I've written in so many of my books, is really rooted in the tools of war from the time of Hitler's Germany. IG Farben, Mobe, all of them, really they were working for creating chemicals for the concentration camps. And in a way, they've turned the planet into a concentration camp for insects, for plants, for, you know, for farmers who are dying, 200,000 a year. This is not needed because we allow biodiversity to work. It controls pests. We don't use pests. We have no pests on our farm. Mm -hmm. and, and all our work is showing there's nothing like a weed because every plant is useful. Sure. Just because a Roundup Ready seed declares amaranth is a weed and then creates super pests in the Palmer amaranth, it's not a very intelligent way to work. So regeneration is mindfulness of the creativity of which we are a part, a responsibility to choose. Intelligence is basically making choices, intellegry to be able to choose. So choosing every moment, choosing your food with thoughtfulness. And, you know, what Navdanya has done, what Slow Food has done, we didn't do it from the top down. We did it working with the soil organisms and working with the plants and working with the bees and butterflies. And uh, it is really about living our living networks. It is about being our being in an interconnectedness of being. That's what slow means. Slow means stopping the conquest of speed, you know, over all of life. You know, what is fossil fuels? What did fossil fuel give us? It gave us industrialism. It gave us machines that would work faster. That's all. It gave us speed and then it gave us privileging of speed. So all the subsidies, all the distortions in the economic system, all the punishing of the small farmer is related to the privileging of the speed of the violent tools of industrialism, particularly when it's brought to agriculture. And that's all but, done in the, yep, sorry, go ahead. No, no, but I, I think, again, coming back to my physics background, you know, space and time are interconnected. They're, they're web, we, we call it Deshkan. And it's a four-dimensional reality of which we are a part. The minute you cut time from space, space and you accelerate time, you conquer spaces and the relationships. And that is the disruption we are living through today in this moment of collapse. So we just have to reconnect time and space, reconnect ourselves to all life, reconnect humans to nature in our mind because they were never broken. You could, just because some people had illusions that we are separate, you know, we'd be very dead if we were separate from nature. We wouldn't have oxygen to breathe that comes from the plants. We wouldn't have water to drink that comes from our rivers and springs and groundwater. And we wouldn't have food to eat. That doesn't come from synthetic fertilizers and pesticides as I've written in my book, Who Really Feeds the World, which I did for the Milan Expo. No, the food we eat comes from the butterflies and the birds and the earthworms. And our work is just working in amazement with their creativity. I mean, just look at the earthworm. And you know, there's a whole propaganda system trying to criminalize the poor earthworm, like they're trying to criminalize the cow, you know? Anything which is a link between living systems, they want to rupture that link. And as if that war of chemicals isn't over now, they want to attack every life form that is an alternative to industrialism, from the earthworm to the poor cows. Um, I think slow, this is the moment for slow. To re I mean, to me, slow means allowing the connections that are to come alive. Exactly. And I think that's a perfect framing of it. A personal mantra I've had recently is what if we just don't about so many things, you know, like 
anything that's being tossed at us in the propaganda, the question I ask myself is, what if we just don't do that? And it, the answer is so simple, right? It's like everything is extracting. There's all these forces coming at us that just want to extract wealth from everybody it, in whatever form it is, extracting wealth from the earthworms, extracting wealth from the soil, extracting wealth from people. What if we just don't? Guess what? We're more in harmony with everything if we don't have these distractions. So this personal mantra of mine, I think, is a subset of slow as well. Mara, I just want to say that, mm. you know, this basic thinking, what if I don't? What if I disconnect from that which is not worthy of being connected to? Right. This is what Gandhi meant when he said Satyagre. Mm. Satya, truth. Agre, the force of truth. Reconnect to the living to disconnect from the killing. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's so perfect. Thank you for framing it that way. I knew there was a connection there. <laughs> I want to frame out what we've been doing during this summit for you and get some feedback. Throughout this summit, we've talked a lot about everything from small and large efforts of sea libraries, wild harvesting to being a, a, a a foundation of food security. Uh, we've talked about GMOs. We've talked, we're going to talk today. The, today's the focus is on women's seeds and community. And today we're going to have a panel about re seed rematriation efforts and also how working with seed regenerates health um, in communities. These are the themes that I hit on to really feature in this, um, in this conference. But in your opinion, what is the most pressing topic regarding seeds today? I think the Tropics that were pressing mm. 35 years ago when I started seed saving in Nabdanya have emerged in new form. Because in these years, people have realized the value of real seed. Right. Because real seed gives real food. Because it is a seed of interconnectedness. Industrial seed is seed of broken connection. Yeah? The first thing you have to do with industrial seed is not allow it to renew. The nature of seed is it renews. Bija, the word seed in our language is bija, that which arises from itself again and again and again without its own. That is seed. The ultimate generative capacity and self-generative capacity. Um, so making seed non-renewable, making seed separate from the soil, making seed, you know, I, I remember when I was working with, farmers and you know I told them about Cargill and Monsanto and then Cargill set up a seed plant in Karnataka and uh, mm. and the farmers had been to my sessions and you know they they literally broke down that plant because the commerce secretary of the U.S. had been to India and said crowbar by crowbar we will dismantle everything that comes in the way of our corporations and we want to make way for the DuPonts and the Cargills and I gave, I shared with them the speech that had been given by the U.S. Commerce Secretary in Delhi. And then the farmers literally crowbar by crowbar broke down the Cargill factory. <laughs> and, um, and the Cargill chief from the Asia Pacific arrived and said, oh, these Indian peasants are so stupid. They don't realize we are preventing the bees from usurping the pollen. Yeah. So the bees and the seed are one. And now the bee is, designed, uh, is defined as usurping the pollen. Yeah? Farmers are defined as stealing the seed in intellectual property terms. So these are the, the challenges we still face. I think the GMO, first generation GMOs fail. You have super weeds in US. We have super pests in India with BT cotton, only two applications. So now they're bringing the new generation of GMOs by deregulation, not through testing, but through deregulation. And these are the gene edited crops. And you might have heard that, that at least I'll give you three examples quickly. Uh, you know, they had this big transplant, you know, heart transplant. And the man who got the transplant died because it had viruses in it. There was this case of, you know, we celebrate the horns of our animals when we do our animals festivals. Our horns are the most beautiful part, but when you put animals in factories, then the horns become dangerous. So they have to dehorn the animals. So they did a gene editing to have hornless animals. And these were infested with bacteria and they had to ground them up and destroy it. And new research is showing one change in an editing leads to 1,500 
intended changes. So this is not precise. It is not accurate. And I think this is a new challenge to seed the gene edited crops. But I think the perennial challenge to seed is seed colonialism. You know, I saw the language being used for seed and the language being used for people was the same. Primitive seed. Our seeds were called primitive seeds. And the industrial seed was called improved. We watched how the improved seed failed this year. (laughs) We saw how it failed, you know. And I just want to share with you, you know, the new research showing that in the old varieties, protein is 11% more, fiber is more, iron, potassium is more. And these are the reasons you don't have the gluten allergy with the uniformity of the gluten molecule. So the challenge for seed saving now is to keep up with the new attempts of seed colonization and to bring, basically decolonize the seed, which is rewild the seed, which is rewild the knowledge associated with the seed. And that's where the seed as a commons, you know, that work continues. And the Satyagraha to defend it as the commons will continue because these pathetic 10 people who are so greedy, they want the last river, the last acreage of farmland, the last seed, they are so pathetic in terms of their limitless hunger, that we have to work with the earth for limitless abundance. And it, it strikes, I'm glad you brought up some of those numbers, Dr. Shiva, you know, and I know this was, this has been improved, but when I visited Navdanya eight years ago, you know, you're already finding equal productivity per hectare through, you know, um, through your methods um, in more traditional regenerative agriculture compared to fossil fuel-based agriculture. And one of the things that struck me when I was there, and, you know, I'd always read this concept for you, but I had to be there to see it. You know, when you talk about systemic underdevelopment, you talk about... John, you muted. There, can you hear me now? How long was I muted? Just two seconds. Just a second. When you talk about systemic underdevelopment or maldevelopment, um, it really strikes me that you're, you're talking about different kinds of, of richness being commodified. You, you have talked about um, the importance of social capital, you know, shared labor networks to go back generations. You've talked about the importance of natural capital, right? Sunshine and rain and, and compost from cattle and the health of those cattle and the health of human bodies, natural capital. And, and sure, there can be financial capital. But my understanding from you is that rather than looking at these green revolution projects as development, it's underdevelopment because it's asking communities to trade, to relinquish the social and natural capital for financial capital that never comes, leading to deepest poverty, including the spiritual poverty of a quarter million suicides in 20 years among Indian farmers. And I'm curious, you know, when you when you're talking about um, seed saving in the face of commodification, um, how do you have to not just restore seed practices, but restore a view of natural wealth, social wealth, um, as equal to, if not more important than financial wealth? And, and, and how can you do that? I was there during your 25th anniversary, and it was very, a very playful celebration of that struggle to restore natural and social capital um, and, and, and spiritual capital. How do you restore it playfully rather than just that sort of agonistic view of resistance? You know, for me, the creative, constructive work is the resistance. Mm-hmm. Because, the, you know, the minute you've saved one seed and you've planted it and it has just given you a thousand seeds, a hundred thousand seeds, millets are named millets because they give you the million in the Italian, you know, a hundred thousand seeds. And the fascinating thing is this colonized culture declares them as mota anaj. You know, yesterday in Bengal, in Punjab, they said, oh, so you're talking about the fat grain. As the millets are the little grain, that's how illusionary everything is. The fat grain. And I said, obesity is a problem of industrial access civilization. Mm. Obesity of grain 
is a problem of industrial breeding because you measure the weight, not the quality. And that's our work. You know, we said we'll measure nutrition per acre, health per acre. We shifted the indicators because yield per acre only measures the commodity that left the farm. Not its quality, not what it did to the soil, not what is it does it do to our gut, not what it did, did it do to the farmer. So when you talk about how do we keep all of nature, all of society and community in mind when we basically create the movement of seed freedom on which rests the movement of food freedom. The first aspect of it, in my view, is realizing that money, just like urea, is born post-war mm -hmm. from fossil fuels. There's been soil fertility forever in nature, in the forest, the humus, composting that Albert Howard found in India, yeah? And he wrote the Agricultural Testament learning from Indian peasants, hundreds of thousands of years of working with the soil, with the living soil, 100 years of weapons of mass destruction in agriculture. And part of this was nature doesn't create, people are stupid. Therefore, development became substituting nature and substituting people's knowledge. Decolonization includes realizing that nature has her own currencies. You know, money was always a means of exchange, but money has been made the measure of our humanity. Money has been an end to were made in MN. And in a way, it, you know, I have a book here which is talking, you know, money as God mm. um, and the money makers as the new gods. And that is where the problem is. But nature in her abundance, the living soil, the seed, the forest, the streams, they are nature's economy and nature's capital. And they work with each other. None of them are separate. The forest is not separate from the river, as my dear sisters of the Chippewa movement in the 70s taught me. The soil is not separate from the seed. Plants are not separate from our gut. All of this interconnectedness means we have to shift from A, capital as money, to all currencies mm -hmm. and all currencies are flows. They flow in interconnectedness. Food is a currency. That is what I've learned. I keep repeatedly saying food is a currency. It's a currency of life and it's a currency of interconnectedness. Seed is a currency which becomes food and becomes future seed. And this is the new calculations, new indicators we are evolving now in Navdanya. We went to health per acre, wealth per acre, but we want to work on the true circular economy, which is regenerating the cycles of life in abundance and with increase, not statically. There's nothing static in nature. In terms of social capital, in terms of communities, their knowledge, their cultures, the cultures of the sacred part of what we are doing in Navdanya is I'm just telling the women, I said, forget your Bollywood festivals, festivals that come from the movies. Do the festivals of your soil and your seed as you used to do them before the films came in and interfered or before politics as religion came in. And the festivals are so amazing, you know, just in early May, we had the festival of Akthi, the renewal of the agricultural cycle. Mm. You know what? And I was introduced to this by the tribal farmers who evolved the rice diversity. The seed is a commons, but more than that, it's talking about let me rediscover friendship with other bees. Mm. You know, sowing the seed is the friendship with us being. So our relationship with nature and our relationship with each other are themselves mutually reinforcing currencies. So I say now. You know, especially given the moment we are in, and there are people who really think that in five, six years' time, they created natural asset management companies, just like the, um, the collapse of uh, the subprime crisis. You know, remember 2008 and the Wall Street crisis? They think that's not enough. They want to apply that for nature and food with derivatives and securitization, and the Black Rocks are playing a game, and the Vanguards are playing the game, and Wall Street and Rockefeller launched these natural asset companies a month before the 
COP26. And they're talking about owning nature and making 4,000 trillion. So when money making money through algorithms becomes your economy, your real economy is extinguished. Economy is the art of living. Making money is crematistics. So art of living is working with the creativity of all beings, including all human beings, and undoing the illusions that we don't have power. We don't have knowledge. We don't have potential. And this idea of a 4,000 trillion economy out of grabbing all of nature and owning and privatizing nature goes hand in hand with the assumption that's taking place that 99% humanity will be useless. You know, they're already talking about killing the old people. Right. You know, the economic case for killing granny, that's the economics they're thinking of. So they had an economic case of extinguishing diversity. They had an economic case for desertifying the soil and making everything dependent on fertilizers. They now have an economic case for shutting down all currencies of food and having food reduced to raw material, I mean, you know, and processed in labs. And the plant-based language, let me share with you what the buyer research head said. In order for plant-based companies to produce at scale and succeed, they require efficient sources of amino acids and carbohydrates, this which will bring them around to raw crops as if we can't grow diversity that can be tilled and cultivated by machine. They, they don't add and you, using huge chemicals. So they're thinking of a, a, a aggravation of industrial agriculture and all the problems it's given us and recognizing the multiple currencies also includes recognize the currency of the energy that is us, the spiritual energy, the bodily energy, because as we are shut out from the money system and more and more people will be, Look at the number of people who are homeless in New York. Mm. Look at the number of people homeless in Canada, the country where I studied. We cannot have a disposability of 99% of humanity, just like the assumption of extinction of species. 200 a day, a million threatened. Well, we are a threatened species. Small farmers are a threatened species. But for me, regeneration is a refusal to go extinct. A creative resistance that works in cooperation with all life. And I do not know of a single farmer who is not a joyful farmer when they work with the earth and work in service of the earth. And I have put in, in the chat, uh, October calls the return to earth, because to me now, you know, too many words are floating around, too many names, agroecology, regenerative farming, biodynamic, permaculture, and then everyone is getting very confused. And for me, it's as simple as this. Work with the laws of nature to increase nature's capacity and potential. Work with community to enhance the amazing richness in community and create a project to reject extinction by rejecting the instruments of extinction. Exactly, and I feel like all those efficiencies that are peddled to us are, are fictions, and they are definitely, you know, efficient, a mantra has come into my mind recently too, that efficiencies are the enemy of equity and enemy of justice. And I really like this reframing of bringing the joy back into this conversation. And there's- Which really ties Mira, yep. Mara, no, please go on about joy, but it really ties to Monica's question in the I chat. I see that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, when I started to study the Green Revolution and did that book called The Violence of the Green Revolution with what happened to Punjab and Bhopal, I then started to look at what were they calculating in efficiency and productivity. The mm -hmm. input was labor, not the soil, not the land, not the chemicals, not the finance. All of that was made invisible. And in the process, what, you know, Emery Lovins has described, mm. we depended more and more and more on energy, on energy slaves. This yeah. system is a slavery system. Mm -hmm. Old slavery, new slavery. That's right. And the new freedom is freedom for the last being, the last bacteria, the last virus, freedom for the last person. 
and our freedom for the last culture. And because we can learn from nature, we can learn from the mycorrhizae in the soil, we can learn from our gut microbiome, that we have to do the right thing. They do the rest of the work. Exactly. Exactly. I want to call some attention to some love being sent your way, Dr. Shiva, in the in the chat um, from Shelly Buffalo, who's one of our moderators of the seed rematriation panel. She's a seed guardian of the Meskwaki Nation over in Iowa here in the U.S. Uh, she says, when I first heard Vandana Shiva speak, I broke down crying. Vandana articulated my personal experience as an indigenous woman. It's an experience that continues in exploitation, commodification and violence. Seed rematriation has been a lifeline for me. Reconnecting to my seed relatives, my ancestral seeds, has helped to overcome the trauma of boarding school. I want to thank Vandana for her part, not only in, as a powerful influence in reconnecting me with my seed relatives and for showing me how to give voice to the seeds and to me. And I think a lot of us feel that, um, you know, I, after watching the video, uh, the film that the Beckett's produced for you um, about your life, I was overcome with this overwhelming need to say thank you. To you for carrying oh, thank you thank yeah. you Mara. thank you john thank you all yeah we thank like, each other yeah gratitude is one of the currencies exactly. of life i just i'm so grateful to you for carrying this weight for all of us for so long and opening all of our eyes to the real truths you know of listening to nature and listening to seed and reconnecting and i love this reframing of what regeneration is is just you know recognizing life and being more tapped into life and rejecting the things that cause um, death and destruction in our, in our society. Um, I also wanted to pose a question as we wrap up our time together here today. Um, a couple of questions from the chat um, from Priscilla. She says, how do we securely bring seeds home and escape seed colonization? We treasure that seed as our future currency. Do you have an answer, Priscilla? Yeah, so the way I've done that work is, you know, when the context was intellectual property, where five giants, which are the chemical giants, who might call the poison cartel, wanted to own all the seed of the world, we started to create community seed banks. Right. And we've created in Nathania more than 150. And in these community seed banks are the salt-tolerant seeds that allow our coastal communities to survive the cyclones that are increasing by the ear, or the drought tolerant seeds that have allowed, and the heat tolerant seeds. And as the disasters aggravate, the, the personhood of the seed, the being of the seed becomes more known to us. It's there all along, but we were ignorant. Mm. And I think the seed is speaking the language of creativity. The seed is speaking the language of abundance. The seed is speaking the language of caring because if you don't care for the seed, you won't have seed. It takes a lot of care. One of our uh, coordinators always says, you know, these are like a thousand babies I have. That's right. And if I don't care for these babies, they will not be worth planting. They will not germinate. They are my babies. So just like babies need care, seeds need care. But just like care is the basis of sharing. You cannot save seeds as individual property. Mm. Exchange is vital to seed saving. And, and, and John started earlier in the conversation, we shouldn't do it with a burden. Because if you take the burden that, oh my God, I've got to do all the seed saving, then you don't have the potential. But if you say the seed is alive and I've got to be there as a partner, as a co-creator to play my role, then the rest of the work the seed does and the rest of the work the community does. And out of that, I have seen impoverished communities, indebted communities with 400,000 farmers suicide, 85% in the cotton area where BT cotton is dominant. Mm. These communities just saving seeds are coming into new joy, new life, new abundance. And that is the potential of the seed. Yes, it is. I have a, a personal question as a farmer myself and a farmer that you are as well. I, we have focused a lot of our programming this year at Slow Food USA around beans and legumes um, as great teachers. Um, they can teach us so much about climate resilience, about nutrition and about, um, about health, in fact. Um, and I was curious, what is your favorite legume to grow? Well, uh, you know, part of it is we've 
we brought back so many forgotten legumes. You know, um, when I started Navdanya, I'd go to the villages with books from my parents' library and ask them, do you grow this? Do you have this? And all these forgotten legumes, the women were planting in little corners. The men were saying, we're growing soya bean for the market. We are growing potato for the market. And the women said, no, we grow nourishment. And then I when I started doing the collections, I couldn't believe it, the English names of all the legumes. Because India is the richest source of dals and proteins. That, because that was our protein source. None of our legumes, you know, we call chana, which mm. the British call chickpea. Gahat, horsegram, tur, pigeon pea. They named it all animal feed because they didn't know what to do with these legumes. So we've done a book called Pulse of Life, where we celebrate all the diversity of legumes. And then you ask me, what's my particular one? No, I, you know, I, for me, diversity is so important that I never have a particular one. I celebrate all of them, particularly the forgotten ones. I, and, you know, there's a lovely one called Norangi, the nine grain. We didn't choose it. We didn't breed it. Norangi, the nine grain, nine colored. It's in a pod. Mm -hmm. And you can grow the red one and it'll still give you nine colors. Oh, and wow. you can grow the green one and it'll still give you the nine colors. Now, look at that autopoietic intelligence in that plant to give that diversity. But my family is waiting for dinner. And today we are having kichri, which is my favorite dish. It is rice with a, a dal mm -hmm. and lots of vegetables. And, you know, when Mr. Gates was trying to sort of push this fake meat and lab meat and impossible burger, I said, why are you going through all this trouble? Mm -hmm. Just eat a dal. Come <laughs> and we'll tell you how to cook dal. You don't have to twist nature and food all over again. Enough damage with ultra-processed food. And ultra-ultra-ultra-processed food will do violence to the land and our gut microbiome. So let's celebrate our dals as the protein foods that can be eaten in green form, in cooked form, in hundreds of forms. I totally agree. Dr. John, do you have any final words here today? Just to, Dr. Shiva, you know, when you when you gave me a tour of your, your seed bank, you know, I want to mention the importance of art and how you remind people of seed and the sacred. And it was kind of your colleague to, to ask for her photo here. Um, I don't know this. I think for folks that haven't been to your farm at Navdanya, I just think that when you walk into your seed bank, to me, it has the feeling of walking into a primordial place of life itself. Um, and, and that's in your use of your architectural design, your use of art and storing the seeds. I'm just curious if you want to say anything about, about the role, uh, I mean, seed itself, seed saving itself as an art, but, but the role of art in, in, in elevating the sacred value of the practice. Yeah. Well, you know, Navanya literally has grown from the seed and that's the seed bank you're seeing in that image. Um, is a combination of the fact that I wanted mud, I wanted storage systems that people can use. You know, uh, people said, why don't you freeze the seed at minus 14? I said, no, we'll save the seeds the way farmers can save the seeds. And in any culture where seed is living, seed is sacred. And wherever there's a sacred, there's beauty mm. and there's art. And part of what we've done in Navdanya is we're helping people remember. And the mandalas that come around with the seed, the mandalas, you know, of the nine planets, the nine crops in our field, and the diversity in our gut and our body, this harmony from the microscopic to the cosmic level is the sacred we are reconnecting in our minds and in our hearts. And I, I really do believe this is sacred work for all of us. And we have to hand over the future to the seed and let the seed guide us and not be the atlases to say, oh, I got to save the world. We are not saving the world. We are protecting the seed, which will save the world. And we will end on that beautiful note. I so appreciate the two of you for your time, your gracious generosity with your knowledge. And um, I just, 
it was the best way to start this last day of our seed summit. I look forward to collaborating with you in the future and uh, stick around for the rest of the seed summit, everyone. Dr. Shiva, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And do go to the link. And, you know, some of you, I hope, will be able to come to Navdanya and be in the seed bank, learn how to save seeds, learn with the living soil, learn from nature, learn from farmers. We will welcome you with deep love. Thank you. And thank you so much, Mara. Thank you, John. You too should come back. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.